The question we now have to ask is if technologically it is possible to make an impenetrable device or system where the encryption is so strong that there's no key, there's no door at all, then what mechanisms do we have available to even do simple things like tax enforcement? Because if in fact you can't crack that at all, government can't get in, then everybody's walking around with a Swiss bank account in their pocket. Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast, uh, the premier podcast for Bitcoin full node operators uh, and fans of Bitcoin full node operators and uh, possible future Bitcoin full node operators. Uh, thanks for joining us all. I've got my co-host here, Michael Goldstein, aka Bitstein. How's it going? Going well. Node's uh, still running. <laughs> yeah, nodes are up, <laughs> up and running at the chain tip. Uh, and we have a special guest today, Justin Moon. Uh, if you listen to Marty's podcast, Justin has been on it already. He had a Stellar appearance on there, unrelated to the cryptocurrency called Stellar. Are, are we just going to not be able to use words anymore because some crypto, some altcoin, like has taken that word and reappropriated it? Yes. Just give it time. They'll take they'll take the entire English dictionary, and we'll have to we'll have to invent something new. <laughs> Because it used to be that when I tell people, oh, I huff a lot of ether, they think that I'm actually, you know, uh, an addict. Uh, but now it takes some explanation of like, no, I actually like go to the gas station and huff <laughs> gas station. <laughs> yeah, well, and they're like, oh, phew, I'm so worried about you. That doesn't yeah. sound nearly as bad. <laughs> I thought you owned Ethereum. <laughs> I didn't know you were uh, just a drug addict. Oh, okay. It's good. No, but Pierre, my, my node is running. It's uh, it's very healthy. Uh, I got a lot of disk space left, you know, hundreds of gigabytes left. So I, I don't have to worry for quite a long time now. Yeah, just uh, to date this episode, uh, we're on, the current block is uh, 557.515. Uh, so that's, that's the current block height. And uh, I, I hope you guys are, are at that same spot. You know, it's funny, I've got... I, I have like the the window open on on my laptop that's running my uh, Lightning Reckless node, and it's got it tells you like how many transactions are in the mempool and how much memory usage uh, the mempool has, and I kind of look at that to see that's like my fee estimation. <laughs> I look at that and I'm like, oh okay, all right, I'll throw throw a few more satoshis if it's really uh, taking up a lot of memory. Yeah, that little uh, lightning channel of yours, I've, I've been watching the graphs. They're just uh, up and to the right. That They got that hockey stick look. I know. It's amazing. I think that, let's see. Uh, I think I'm at, yeah, I'm at 458 channels total, but not all of those are active. Um, and honestly, like, it, I, I, uh, I, I don't know how many people are connecting because of my medium guide versus how many people are connecting because they were already on Lightning and they're just like on this bandwagon. Um, and 
Yeah. So now I, I am going to f have more clarity on that pretty soon because I'm going to add a button to my node launcher for opening a channel. And by default, it's going to have private checked off uh, because most people who are using my guide and like as an introduction to lightning are not running a routing node. Like they're going on and offline. Uh, and I, I see it myself. Like I, I see a constant churn of peers uh, of people, you know, coming on and offline. So uh, make it private. Uh, and then one side effect of that will be that I know who actually opened the channel with my node launcher versus uh, who who did not. Uh, and I, I'm doing this because like, I, I don't think I haven't seen any of the like desktop wallet apps uh, expose the option to create a private channel and a private channel uh, for audience members who are not familiar with it's not that like it adds, it gives you more privacy with your payments per se, um, nor does it even really give you, it, it does not give you privacy uh, with the fact that you opened a channel because that's still visible on chain. Uh, and currently uh, lightning channel openings uh, are distinguishable on chain, uh, you know, so they're multi-sig. Uh, but what it does is that it, it does not broadcast your channel to the rest of the lightning network. And that means that, for one, people who are trying to route payments are not going to try to use that channel to route their payment and then discover that you're offline or, uh, you know, you're simply... The other The other thing is that it, um, it you know, it, it would be a shame if you open a specific channel because you want a specific channel balance to it and a certain, uh, you know, local amount capacity. And then people start writing payments through you and then that channel like gets imbalanced and you're like, no, I, I needed that for my own personal use. I didn't what you know, I didn't want to actually like have other people using my, that channel. Um, so uh, private can make sense in, in certain scenarios. Uh, and then the other thing too, is just letting you input the fee manually uh, because like zap doesn't allow you to adjust the fee in the front end. Uh, the alternative is you got to use a command line, which, I'm trying to save my my node launcher users from. It's yeah, like that's the whole point. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because uh, as as a developer myself, I don't like the command line all that much. Uh, I actually I love IDEs. Uh, I love PyCharm. Uh, I'm I'm very much seen as being like the um, lower tier, you know, nerd. Uh, I don't have a a good neck beard going. I'm not on the Vim or the Emacs, uh, but um, so even for developers, like like I use my node launcher. I, I it really is to scratch my own itch, uh, so that I don't have to get to the command line and like, oh, what was the syntax for that command? Like, what do I need to do for the? Uh, I, I don't like it. Anyway, uh, enough about me. Uh, we wanted to have Justin <laughs> on because uh, because we want a shill. This is a shill episode. This is an infomercial episode. If you're not into learning about Bitcoin, then then unsubscribe from Noted. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, can, can you tell us who who you are so we can block you? Like, just... yeah, uh, send me your Twitter account. Send us your Twitter account, and we'll make sure that you are on the block list uh, that is shared among Bitcoin maximalists. There's no such thing, but I, I'd like for people to think there will there be. Is. <laughs> yeah, really, there 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 ought to be. Um, what what I wanted to create was a um you know how like i built bitcoin x for bitcoin core developers i want to build a similar type of ui that is essentially like a um 
it would be a compendium of shit coiners and like why they have a bad reputation, the scams they've pulled off in the past, what their Twitter handle is, uh, and then different grades of severity, right? Uh, and so if if you actually did an exit scam and you're living on a beach somewhere, like that probably is the worst scam. Although, I, well, you know, there's probably a lot of room for debate on the product side of this idea. Uh, but uh, the main thing is that you'd be able to download a, a block list of, and you can you can set categories for it. Like, oh, I only want to block the worst of the worst. Or like, I want to cast a wide net and block as many people as possible. <laughs> and so anyone who's ever been associated with an altcoin and has not repented uh, is on the block list. But yeah, just an idea this for some future development. person vaguely showed affection for Monero. Block. Yeah. <laughs> this this person did not like one of the tweets Safedean did against this altcoin. <laughs> and if they've ever tweeted XRP, I think you can just get rid of them. You know. <laughs> Yeah, block anyone who doesn't clap sufficiently for Saifedean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there will be, I think, more like AI machine learning uh, categorization of uh, Twitter accounts. Because like for when we're doing like the KYC AML for the uh, dinners, I'll just start scrolling on someone's Twitter feed. I know pretty quickly like what's going on with, with their you know, ideology. Sure. Yeah, that's uh, so I, so I recently started like a little book club, mostly because I, I started reading like these Austrian economics books. Like I tried to, so I bought a bunch of them, right? And I didn't read any of them because they're kind of difficult, right? And I'm yeah. not an economist. I don't really have the background. Uh, and so I, I created a, a book club mostly just to get some social reinforcement to sort of like uh, kind of peer pressure myself into, into completing these books that I really wanted to complete, but I, I needed some sort of nudge. And so when I when I set this link up, I, I wanted I, I had everyone DM me individually, and I only let people in after a cursory view of their uh, their Twitter profile. And you can actually in, in ten seconds you get a pretty good idea. And uh, a lot of them didn't, you know. I wanted I wanted Bitcoiners, right? Because it was a, it was a Bitcoin reading group, so so that worked pretty pretty well. Yeah, and uh, so how many people do you have in the reading group? There's like two hundred and fifty or something. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I, I've tweeted about it like twice or three or maybe a couple times, I mean, four times, uh, 207. And so, so yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, I was just inspired by my total and complete failure to read some of these books. Uh, and then also, I mean, it's uh, also the, the kind of uh, really sharp interest that I, I think myself and a lot of other people get in the, uh, in the sort of adjacent ideas to Bitcoin. Right, like you, you sort of you, you you read mastering Bitcoin or or uh, the Bitcoin standard, and then maybe you read it again. Right, <laughs> I think that's how most of us did it. And then you want to sort of like move peripherally and, and understand some of those other ideas. For some people, it's maybe learning to code. For me, it was learning economics. Uh, and so I read like a basic econ book first, and then I I started moving over here. And uh, and yeah, so that was that was kind of the idea. Is uh, is it it was grounded in that the idea to to, to learn. Like Austrian economics mostly, and uh, but we also have like a, a computer science reading group where we were going to read that one. That one struggled to get going, but we were reading a KNRC book. It's like C programming. Yeah, uh, classic. Yeah, we were. Uh, we have another one that's just Bitcoin specific. So last week we read the the white paper, which was pretty interesting. Like I never actually discussed the white paper with anybody. You know, like I, I always just like sit in my you know sat in my room and read it. Uh, so that was kind of that was pretty cool, you know. The the calls, it's all video call, so we'll let it'll last about ninety minutes an hour. And uh, the real 
and, and by the way, this is you can just go to bitcoinreadinggroup.com and join. Uh, it's just free. It's free and open now that we have like a nucleus. If anybody's annoying, we have, you know, we have hound dogs now that will kick you out or, you know, that'll report you. So, uh, so yeah, the, the, uh, Sounds really toxic. Yeah, it is extremely toxic. I ensure that. Uh, and so, so yeah, the, the, the thing people really like about it is I think a lot of Bitcoiners, a lot of node operators, a lot of the people on this podcast and myself, when I first started listening to your podcast, cause you guys were really the first people that I encountered that I, I that really seemed to, uh, that really rang where I really, uh, saw the promise of, of Bitcoin. Like I was a pretty skeptical for a long time. And then the Nakamoto Institute noted podcast were like the two things that really helped me. And so, so when I was in that space, I, I didn't know anybody who shared this interest. And, you know, I talked to some friends, probably alienated them. Right. <laughs> like it's so, so the people in this little reading group, I think the, the best thing is it's just like someone else to talk to about your interest who shares the vocabulary who shares some knowledge, but you know, you have stuff to teach them. They have stuff to teach you. So it's, it's a cool little thing. It's free. It's going to stay free. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a cool little thing. And, and, uh, I, I, I had lunch with Bitstein in Austin the other week and he was telling me about something that he did back in college. Both of you did the, the Mises circle. That was, that was really interesting to hear about. Uh, yeah. And I think the, the website for the Mises circle is still up. Uh, it is, it is. Yes. Uh, the Mises circle.org. Um, a lot of the, the Bitcoin writings, uh, have that, uh, Pierre and, and Daniel had done. We, we moved over to the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute. Um, but there's still, I mean, the, the, the bulk of it was just a place to post, um, information about meetings that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I guess, uh, you've heard this, but maybe some listeners haven't, you know, heard about it, but basically the Mises circle, we founded it in, uh, 2012, um, I guess the founders were me, uh, my friend George McHugh. Um, I think Daniel may have been on the original sign-up sheet that we submitted to the school, um, but it was definitely George and I. Um, oh, it was, it was me, George, and Steven Zeiler. Um, and uh, actually, was it? I, I don't even remember. A- anyway, like there, yeah, there's a whole I, group you're, of, you're, of... You're putting too much emphasis on the uh, who gets credit <laughs> for what, Michael. <laughs> It's about the ideas, man. Yeah, anyway, anyway, there's there no glory that. here. Feels to authority I, everywhere. I want to, I want to give you know credit to the whole uh, UT Austin uh, crew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the those were the glory days of Libertarian Longhorns, um, and uh, I love all those people. So shame um, on those that became B cashers. I won't name names, but come <laughs> on. Um. Anyway, like you know, it became. It, in the libertarian group, you know, there's a lot of just kind of libertarian chatter. Uh, and we wanted a safe space for talking about Federal Reserve monetary policy um, and, you know, uh, Austrian theories about stuff. And so we formed that. And we also, you know, didn't want to simply be talking about uh, the broken window fallacy, which is where most libertarian economic discussions kind of end, um, or at least did at the time. Uh, so we just wanted a place to, you know, nerd out about uh, various readings from Mises and Rothbard and Hayek and all the others. Um, and we just picked random stuff. There was no there was no kind of rhyme or reason to anything. We just kind of someone would have a random uh, article that they thought was interesting um, and they would share it. And they would usually give a little presentation at the beginning uh, of the next meeting before we just got in a circle and discussed and uh, yeah, it, you know, went on for 
you know, two, two and a half years. Um, and when we all became obsessed with Bitcoin, it quickly became the Bitcoin circle. And most discussions at the Mises circle revolved around Bitcoin. Um, and that's sort of where uh, the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute got its start. That's a crazy story. Yeah, that's uh, so that's our first our first book was the uh, like I asked Safety and I'm like, Safe, I, I, I want to understand central banking. It seems so confusing. Where should I start? And he's like, the, of course, The Mystery of Banking by uh, Murray Rothbard. And so I'm like, OK, I've heard of Murray Rothbard. You know, these guys talk about him all the time. Didn't know much about him. And, and we, we've read through that now. And it's funny, like every week we'll, we'll start. We'll talk about central banking, like the multiplier effect, all these different things. And then by about halfway through, we're back to Bitcoin. We just talk about Bitcoin news the rest of the, the rest of the time. It's kind of funny. Well, it is interesting, um, you know, prior to Bitcoin, there was, you know, a major discussion to be had in Austrian circles, which was the whole free banking versus full reserve um, banking discussion. Um, and I think there's still Austrians that sit around thinking about that. And those are the ones who don't care about Bitcoin. Um, but once Bitcoin came onto the scene, it sort of solved that question for us anyway. Like it didn't, it didn't really matter. We had a full reserve system that was, you know, destined to take over the world. And you simply can't fractionally reserve uh, a Bitcoin at the network level. You know, of course, yeah. you can have an exchange that lies about how many Bitcoins they actually have. Yeah, but fractionally reserve my Bitcoin. That's the key thing. Exactly. And so um, because of that, it was just like discussions over. We don't need to, <laughs> we don't really need to discuss that anymore. Uh, but that had been a very... Uh, contentious issue. And we actually had, I think, I think we had a few uh, meetings on that topic. Um, yeah, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was also going to say, like, uh, for those, I, I recently did publish a list of all of the readings that we did in case there's people who want to kind of go down random Austrian rabbit holes. Um, you know, there's all kinds of random stuff from, you know, uh, the the money and banking to, you know, questioning uh, commonly held beliefs about Sweden's um, socialist policies actually being good, like OC socialism works. Uh, but actually, no, <laughs> Sweden was much better off when they were not engaging in socialist policy. Uh, there's just a whole whole litany of stuff um, to dive into there um, for for people like you who are curious and kind of just want to see. What all is there out like once you've once you've kind of got the core basics of the economics, like what does that tell you about the world? Yeah, that's uh, there. I was recently uh, I was recently listening to a, a talk by Hans Hermann Hoppe on uh, and, and one of the things he was talking about is how you like the libertarian movement needs to be able to like present alternative histories, like, you know, like different ways of framing the events of the past. And like there are all these different, you know, you, you get a certain angle all the time. And like the the free banking one was really interesting, and the the, the mystery of banking. He, he was there were a few pages where he was talking about the banking system in Scotland uh, before England was 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 able to like completely conquer Scotland or com completely dominate the banking system. And they had they had like full reserve, free banking, you know, no completely unregulated, and it was much more stable than uh, than England's, which was <laughs> you know is and has been the banking capital of the world for. Or maybe not anymore, but like for a couple hundred years, it was the the center of everything, and and so that's one of the things. Like you know, this is like the real rabbit hole. Like I, I, I found a book that's like you know the, this big book about free banking in Scotland. Like man, I I really want to read that book. 
so it's like it's really cool when you when you as you go and study some of these things the uh you, you can really reframe if you're curious you can reframe your understanding of like you know what has happened before me and i think that's really important uh if you're going to have a decision on any sort of present day thing like so so many of the narratives you hear are, are, aren't really the whole story yes uh so hans Hermann hoppe his, his concept is of the i guess he calls it the anti-intellectual intellectuals mm -hmm. um and yeah it's the the people who are busy not caring about what is the uh, popular and acceptable thing to say but like how do you actually dig into what's truly correct and trying to form a um, alternative nexus of sort of intellectual authority uh, because so so much i mean we, we've talked about this i think it was on the last q a we were talking about how you know the the the, the federal reserve kind of in a way controls not the Federal Reserve specifically, but like that that intellectual structure that props up the Federal Reserve also happens to control the education system because they want to, you know, be able to uh, train people to be a part of that system. Um, and so anything you read from a so-called sort of like, you know, official university, you know, so, a university that people, you know, uh, respect, you're going to necessarily end up with this like, you know, economics that's uh, completely biased towards a system that we can quite clearly see is uh, <laughs> not not benefiting society very much. Well, it's insane how like every every economist basically has the same employer, right? Like, uh, you know, the dollars they're spending are are all from the same place, from the taxpayer, uh, which is 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 really uh, you know, it's 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 pretty it it is pretty alarming. Yes. Well, and of course, the sad thing too is that you know these the the, the government kind of has that that tie with you know most intellectual um, endeavors now. So you know most science grants are coming from the government, and so you have to you know play the game of you know democratic politics and, and whatnot just to get a science grant, which is going to um, conform like like a. The, the types of questions that people will investigate will conform to a certain standard because you have to you have to play that game. And so there's there's a limit on, you know, the kind of things that people can um, look into, um, which just, you know, brings brings down the whole <laughs> the whole purpose of of science. Like, it, it'll be much better if we can, you know, hopefully see uh you know, for instance, if, if Bitcoin were to go to the moon, hopefully there's rich hodlers who can start, you know, paying for scientific investigations of of their own interests. You know, like I if if, you know, I, I could help direct Bitcoins towards uh, people studying, uh, you know, alternative uh, hypotheses about nutrition um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, we've already had this with the pineapple fund, basically, or whatever that was called, right? I mean, that's oh, uh, yeah, yeah, right. That's it's already happened, uh, and we'll, I think will continue to happen. I mean, it's one of those crazy things where, like, I mean, I think it's statistical. It's like kind of a, an accepted fact that the progress of science is is slowed quite a bit. Uh, even though we've kind of gone from a, a an age where only like the the leisure class, a tiny leisure class, could participate, to an age where like you know, China's pumping out millions of, of scientists every year. The United States is pumping out maybe, you know, similar. And somehow the 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 rate of like really uh, leading edge 
uh, innovation is just kind of slowed. It's, it's, I think, I think something, something, you know, there's something going on here. Yeah. Well, something I was looking into recently was uh, the Royal Society and a little bit about the history of the Royal Society. And they represented, you know, they were, they were around during some of these, uh, you know, real heights of scientific achievement. Um, and they, their, their motto, which I think is a great motto for Bitcoin as well, is nullius and verba, which is, you know, basically take no one's word for it, which mm -hmm. is to say that you, you, when someone presents a scientific argument, you only believe it because you can go out and verify the results because yeah. the purpose you, you, you want to be able to replicate um, the results. So you can, you can quickly see the, the parallel with Bitcoin there. Yeah, um, and, and today we have the the replication crisis, right? Like it's like the very opposite of the uh, don't trust verify, right? Like you have a generation of scientists, especially in the social scientists, so social sciences, that authored experiments. Yes, yes, scare quotes that uh, that authored experiments, but uh, no one bothered to check if they were true. It's it's interesting, like a uh, uh, koala panda, the the uh, or no koala. Lightning, Lightning koala. Koala. <laughs> koala panda, all these dang uh, animals on crypto Twitter. He had this great article the other or this uh, tweet the other day where he's talking about the UX of light, why, why the UX of lightning is so hard. You know, he's like, you're, you're going from, uh, you know, the way that people think now is that, you know, I can be irresponsible, right? The, the, the bank will bail me out if I am irresponsible with my credit card number and you have to bring them to, I must be responsible, right? These are my funds and no one's going to help me you know, where they are now is uh, I must trust someone, right? I must trust a bank. And and you, you, the UX of your Lightning app has to teach them, hey, don't even trust me, the developer. I could be trying to steal, steal your money, right? And so you're going from this uh, sort of complete abdication of personal responsibility in the current system to, uh, you know, you know, more of a resurrection of personal responsibility in, in you know, in financial applications. And I think that's... Uh, that's that's sort of like uh, emblematic of the broader change in the, the, the you know the, the second order effects that the Bitcoin project would have if it succeeds. Yes, is you're going to need a lot more personal responsibility. Uh, absolutely, and I think that that also applies here. Just you know, scientific investigation in general. Um, we yeah, you hear a, you know a term thrown around in science of you know uh, consensus. You hear people talk about things like peer review, um, and I actually, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if this would be considered a contrarian opinion or not, but I, I view both of those as, uh, you know, nonsensical and rather anti-scientific terms, because you know, uh, you don't, you don't get to vote on, you know, whether the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. It just happens. Um, you don't get to vote on the gravitational constant. Um, these are simply things that that. They're, they're how the universe operates. So like, you know, just because people have a consensus on something, you know, if that, that doesn't tell us the truth value. It just tells us that there's a group of people who believe that. And we've seen plenty of uh, paradigms uh, being overthrown throughout, you know, the many years that people have do been doing scientific investigation. And on top of that, with peer review, you know, all that means is that, you know, some, some group of people that someone holds in high esteem kind of checked off on a paper, but that does not, you know, peer review does not, you know, necessarily mean that they actually sat and, you know, tried to replicate the results. They simply kind of, you know, uh, signed their name to it and said, oh yeah, we, we, we like this. 
And so it's not, it, it's not indicating to a reader of a, a peer reviewed study that this is actually true. It's just, you know, so, someone gave it approval at some step of the way that you should be allowed to read this one or you should read this or whatever. And- Imagine if that's how code review worked. <laughs> or it's like, I, uh, this, this code is, uh, it, it would be like if everything was a concept deck, right? And yeah, yeah, no yeah. one actually <laughs> did any testing. No one, maybe some no people read the code, no but yeah, let's let it through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and to bring this back to the Lightning UX stuff, um, I do think, you know, there there is going to have to be a lot of education on teaching people how to take charge of their own lives again. Because, you know, if we've been living in, you know, a society that, that, you know, just takes in everything through television and stuff like that, you start to just, you know, believe the guy in the white coat, believe the guy talking to you on the television screen, believe the guy with the blue check mark, you know, just, you know, just kind of believe these people and you've, you've outsourced that. And um, th- there was a book from the 70s called Four Arguments uh, for the Elimination of Television, which I highly, re- highly recommend to people. Uh, but one of his arguments was that the more people are spending their times watching television and going through this process of kind of outsourcing their, um, that, that, um, uh, belief system of like, oh, well, whatever he says is true. Mm-hmm. Um, the more they do that, the, the less that they believe in their own experiences, and thus, like, if you aren't even, if you don't even believe your own experiences, you don't even trust yourself to be able to be capable of this. And you need to be retaught how to go about life so that you can, you know, have, have, have a little bit of belief in what you're actually seeing with your own eyes. And also being able to, like, you know, be able to, to know your own cognitive biases um, and think more clearly. And, you know, with, with Bitcoin, this is going to, be in the sense of having to learn how to think about securing your own stuff now and not having a bank take care of you all of the time. Um, and you'll, you'll have this in other places like in, in science where it's like, no, maybe everything that guy is saying is wrong and you really should just, you know, eat a lot of meat or, you know, whatever. Yeah, one uh, one other interesting thing I, I made a note here that I think is a really interesting thing about science that I, I read from this Hoppe guy was uh, he was he was talking about how the uh, you know the relations relationship between science and engineering, and so and this is really relevant to to Bitcoin, right? Because this is like a like a have this is engineering is really is is you know could be the make or break one of the make or break things that that gets us there if we if we engineer Bitcoin poorly, it could break, right? Uh, and you know these this this inflation bug we had a couple months ago as reminders that you know this the engineering discipline is really important, and so so he he, uh, he he had this really interesting point where uh, like nowadays the uh, like engineering is kind of a second class citizen and science is the one that gets all the glory, uh, and and it's it's sort of like there's there's this bias that science comes first and then engineering comes later right you have Einstein and then you have you know all the com- computers that use the laws of relativity. And he's like, no, this is actually, Hoppe was like, no, this is actually backwards. Uh, you know, how do the scientists do their experiments? You know, you, in order to do basically any experiment, the, a ton of tinkering is required. You have to have all these instruments in order to measure, measure this stuff to a satisfactory rate. 
uh, actually, the, engin the, the, the engineering and the tinkering is, is what sort of paves the way for science. And if you look at some painting from like the Royal Society, you'll see these just like little trinkets any everywhere. I, I grew up uh, close to a, a museum that had, uh, you know, a bunch of the, the kind of stuff that Benjamin Franklin would play with when he was doing his experiments on science. You know, you could get your hair to frizz up and everything and, and early batteries. And it's like, you really get a sense of the spirit that these people were approaching knowledge with. They weren't reading from a book. Uh, they weren't, they were actually trying to, you know, subjectively, empirically kind of figure out how things work. And they were tinkerers. They weren't, they weren't like university academics. And, uh, and I think this is really, really uh, interesting because like you, you see that in Satoshi kind of, you know, like he was, uh, you know, he was really, a, it seems like he was really a tinkerer, you know, like he, he was really a jack of all trades and he combined all these different things and he screwed up, you know, he didn't attempt to prove his, uh, you know, like he didn't really attempt to get it peer reviewed. He, he said, I got this thing and I'm going to launch it, you know, like he's kind of like the Wright brothers. He's just going to get in that airplane and fly. And, uh, and so I, I, I think that's, you know, kind of pivoting towards the, the thing I'm shilling, the thing I'm going to sell you guys is that like, I think, uh, it is it is a really good thing to kind of learn how to 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 to, to tinker and you know learn how a little bit how software works because it's a a big part of the the world we live in and it's how your money works if you're going to trust Bitcoin and so uh, not to say that you should quit your job and become a software developer that's not for everyone but I, I do think it's it's a good skill to learn and uh, it's kind of like you know it's in the future, it's going to be one of these things. It's like, it's kind of a literacy and it just helps to have a basic understanding. And it's not that hard, honestly, like people sell it. Uh, like it's, it's always sort of like this, uh, you know, it's sold as something you only, you can only do if you're a genius or something. No, it's, it's like, if you could, if you, if you can think logically a little bit, like if you can read, you can probably write basic code, right? Like if you can write an essay, you can write code. It's the same exercise more or less. And so that's, that's kind of what I've been doing with this. Uh, like when I got into Bitcoin, it was like eight months ago. So I took Jimmy Song's class and that was really great. Like I, I didn't do any programming for about two years before that. I got kind of burnt out on a startup. And uh, and so I took his class, like fell in love with programming again. It was awesome. And so uh, and so after I got out, I was really pissed off because like there weren't any other good resources really. Like there was only one guy who was doing a really good job teaching this, these technical resources, teaching these, uh, you know, how to, how to build stuff with Bitcoin. So my decision was just kind of try to, you know, create educational content. And that's what led me to make this Biddle Bootcamp. It's like a one month online uh, class where uh, I try to get people kind of uh, building stuff. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, and I, 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 you know, bring it back to where the kind of segue is like, I, I kind of try to encourage that kind of tinkering spirit. Cause that's where uh, I think that's where the value is a lot of the times. Absolutely. And, and by the way, if people are interested in that topic, um, uh, Nassim Taleb also does a good uh, kind of overview of that in Anti-Fragile on his, on his chapter about, I think it was Anti-Fragile, where it was a chapter about teaching birds to fly. Mm. It's this idea of just imagining Harvard ornithologists thinking they're the ones to teach birds how to fly as opposed to like, you know, birds just fly and the scientists try to figure out the mechanisms by which that's actually uh, like the, the causal mechanisms of that, that process. Uh, but so, uh, you've done a couple iterations of, uh, the bootcamp now, right? 
Yeah. So, so how I started is I went to a conference over the summer last, last summer and I met a bunch of friends and a lot of us were noobs and didn't, we were all in the same position. It's like, we want to learn how to interact with Bitcoin network, but it's, it's really hard. Like you got to learn, uh, you have to learn a lot to build something useful. Uh, and, and there's kind of no, there's not really anyone to help you. So we, we would do this thing where basically I would, I would host a call on the weekends and just tell them what I learned. And so it was mostly about the network programming, like how to connect to a peer, how to get that peer to talk to you, how to uh, get information from that peer, how to send information to that peer. And so one of the things we did is we built like a, a, a crawler. We could go and visit every node in the network because you can just go and connect to a node and say, hey, who do you know? And then uh, they'll tell you. And then you you can go put those in a list and basically go through those and ask every one of them, well, who do you know? And then you'll hear these second order connections. And then pretty soon you stop getting new notes because uh, you've visited them all. And it's a really fun. Uh, like for me, that was really eye opening because I came from a fintech startup. That's what I did previously. And the only reason we had, uh, you need an API key to do anything in fintech, traditional fintech. And the only reason we got this API key is we had this super charismatic CEO who got us in the door, right? And uh, of course, the the cost of that is fifty percent equity, and then a lot of bad decisions down the line. And so, like a Bitcoin world is like, wow, you just have to compose this protocol message correctly, and there are libraries for that. It's just a completely different paradigm, right? It's the uh, like, it's just so different from how the financial system works today. And so, so yeah, that's what we what I started doing, and. Uh, and then in October, I, I, I kind of made a free class where I was going to teach people a bunch of stuff. And, uh, and that, I got like 300 people signed up for that. And so that's why I knew like I was on to something. Uh, and so then after that, like kind of, I mean, the, the first one was like, hey guys, I'm doing this as I go. It's going to be a train wreck, but it's free. And, uh, and so that, that group is still like running. We're still kind of like working through things. It's, it's great. I mean, it made a lot of friends on there actually. Uh, and then, so I did a, uh, I started like charging for it. Cause I really believe like the, the, the way to do it is, you know, it's good to charge for, like, I, I really believe in paid education. Uh, all the best educational experiences I've had were not like debt paid. They were like, I paid money there and I was super committed. Like, that's how I learned to code. I struggled <laughs> for a few years and then finally did this program called Thinkful. It was like a couple hundred bucks a month, but you know, three months and I, I knew how to code. And three months later I had a job coding. And, uh, a year after that I was making ton of like a lot of money coding and so uh and so i have actually what, what i'm doing in chicago right now it's between cohorts i'm here for a one week intensive class where i'm learning lisp it's like a really kind of a uh a, a different programming language but i'm just trying to get a, like learn more computer science right to be able to kind of teach my class better to be able to understand things better but uh but yeah so that's that's what i that's i think that i think that stuff works the best and so so I started charging, and and yes, yeah, so this is going to be my third month doing it in uh, in January. Yeah, three. And so I, I've had like sixty paid students so far, and uh, you know, a couple of them have Jeff Jeff uh, Vandrew Jr. was on your one of your previous podcasts. He was in the in the class. Uh, he's after you know after going through a bunch of the stuff, he, he made that Lib- Libra Patreon and BTC Pay uh, QuickBooks plugin. So he's made some interesting projects. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've had a couple other people, you know, one of them made a pull request to jewel recently. So it's like, it's cool. They're starting to actually seep out to the community a little bit. And we actually haven't like, 
I still haven't finished the first November cohort. Like I'm way behind schedule, but it's they're starting to wrap up and it's, we're starting to actually finish everything. So uh, so future cohorts are going to be a lot better. And so we kind of do three things. We uh, the first thing we do is we build uh, basically a mini Bitcoin. It was inspired by James O'Burn's uh, Tiny Chain. He's been on noted a bunch. I think he's like the the league leader in appearances, right? And so we uh, we make this little we we try to make a mini Bitcoin like 700 lines of Python. And so uh, and so the idea is just to have all the major mechanics, right? Like difficulty adjustment, halvings, uh, Nakamoto consensus with the reorganizations. You know, if you have multiple competing branches. Uh, you, you know, if you get a new best work branch, you gotta, you gotta like rewind and go back, you know, uh, onto that branch and, and play all those blocks forward. Uh, the transaction inputs and outputs, a peer to peer network, uh, a network protocol, like how do you compose messages and send them raw bytes over the internet? And so it has all these things and, uh, and we build it over like seven, eight lessons. And it's, uh, we start with like the stupidest version of digital cash I could think of and slowly add, uh, like, you know, fix the biggest problem. So the first version of the digital cache is, is terrible. It's the transfers are like PNG photographs of, uh, like paper transfers. And so it, it, it can be double spent counterfeit. It has every problem imaginable, but then you understand the, uh, the difficulty that Satoshi faced when he tried to invent digital cache. It's like, it's so, it's really hard. And so it's kind of step by step, we introduced the, the features of Bitcoin and eventually we, we basically have it. And so we did that. Now we're going to try to deploy it as like a little mini network and, uh, you know, write little lightning exchange for it. Basically build mini versions of all the infrastructure on the, uh, the real network. And then we do some, some network programming, you know, and then we do uh, some, we build a hardware wallet. So that's, that's the, uh, the gist of it. But the first part, I think, is the most fun. Because yeah. you understand what, like, you really understand deeply how, how Bitcoin works if you've actually built it yourself. Right, right. And seeing all of the, the various pitfalls of, of why certain features are actually necessary, why a, a trade-off might seem awful, but is actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, launching your own network this is the most elaborate shitcoin plan I've heard. It so is. Far. It is a shitcoin. It's an educational shitcoin. I'll, I'll be honest. It's... Uh... So this is this is how it works. Is we're gonna do how like do I, how do I invest in the ICO? It's no, there's no ICO. This is how it works. Is if you if you get UTXO after one month, I'm gonna hold a raffle, and we're gonna just like randomly guess a couple UTXO, and then we'll uh, you know, give a couple treasures or something. Because I want to like incentivize them to like try to run a GPU miner or something. Like uh-huh. see if you can get an ASIC to mine this thing. That'd be awesome, right? Like then you actually kind of understand how the real network works if you can get. You know, because our, our messages are serialized different. So you can't just take off the shelf firmware for an, AS- an ASIC. You'd have to like figure out some way to give it exactly our serialization to do the, you know, to, to, to mine. And so that would be super, su- you know, can you, can you write a pool? Can you, can you have three little nodes running on your computer and have a pool and like split the money between them? Uh, like a lot of these, if you, if you build like a naive version of it in Python, you can do it in like a hundred or something. Like it doesn't take that much code. But you learn just a ton doing it. And so that's the idea is we'll just have a raffle at the end. So like, you know, each maybe, the co- co- you know, hopefully they, they monetize to like one or two sat per token just so we can like build a like exchange. And then after the raffle, it's like, who would use this? And of course, there are bugs, too. So like we'll try to cause chain splits. We'll try to I'm going I'm to leave a couple like servers with uh, like open ports or something. Try to have like, you know, like little honeypots. If you can go hack that, you get the get the tokens. 
So it's it's more of like like there's a lot of opsec we're gonna we're gonna learn too uh, by it's like an educational test net. Yeah, it's it's totally yeah, and it's it's purposefully shitty in some ways because like that's the way you learn adversarial thinking is like you want some uh, you want like you want to try to hack some kind of easy targets, right? Like if I can make some little, little puzzles that, you know, if you can, you know, that, uh, or if you, if you find some logical error in the code, like a DDoS, a, a denial of service vector, right? Can you, can you crash my node, right? Like that, that would be really cool. And, uh, and so much of the, you know, a lot of the complexity in the Bitcoin core system is to handle all these, these, these edge cases, right? And I think one of the best ways to understand them is to like, you know, work in a little simplified environment, uh, temporary, uh, you know, this, you know, this, this, this code is going to be, it's, it's not production ready. And so, you know, it, I don't, I hope, I pray to God, this thing never monetizes in ac any actual fashion, but and I would denounce it heavily, but, uh, but I think it's a great, <laughs> a great, a great learning environment. Uh, well, you're the first shit coiner to come chill on the note. <laughs> Uh, congratulations. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's for a good well, cause, right? Getting, getting on Twitter to block you right now. Yeah, they, it, this is like a textbook <laughs> affinity scam where they're like, oh, it's for a good cause. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. But, you know, if if we get a pre-allocation bonus, you know, a little, a little something on the side, that's fine too. Um, no, Noted podcast for like mafia guys. Just like, yeah, shaking in, people down. Like, be, hey, be look, real, I, I won't denounce your shitcoin if you give yeah, me. It'd be a real shame if we got on Twitter and uh, called <laughs> you a shitcoin. Yeah. yeah, then the, the coins would go from value uh, 0. 0.1 sat to <laughs> 0. 0.01 sat. <laughs> yeah. Or, yes, or the, go ahead. So, uh, well, the the reorg attacks, like there was, there's like a. B Casher, who's running this shark pool that is threatening to do reorg attacks on altcoins or something. I, I don't know if you guys saw that, but yeah, uh, so that's one of the interesting things. So if you if you manage to like so on uh, on AWS, you can rent out like these huge GPUs, and it costs like I forget, it's like a dollar a minute or a dollar an hour. It's really expensive. If you leave one of these on, you're you're in big trouble. Uh, and they're used for like deep learning and stuff. Uh, but you know, if it, it would be fun, you could spin one of these up for like thirty minutes, and you could just mine blocks like crazy, and you could do reorg attacks, like you know, like if we we could we can like we can do all this stuff. It's it's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, like the 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 reorg the it's it's pretty amazing what's happening uh, in some of these networks. Like we, I, so I hosted a meetup. I hosted a meetup too, and Bitstein was there over the weekend. And we one of the things we were talking about is uh, how how vert vertcoin was fifty one percent attacked a while ago. And uh, this is one of the, and this is one of the kind of weaker chains. And we were talking about, you know, these, uh, the, the risk of a GPU mine chain getting 51% attacked. And isn't that the open. one that some porn company was using? That was Verge, I think. Verge. Oh, okay. Again, we're going to run out of words in the English language <laughs> that don't refer to a shitcoin. Well, the other thing too, is that like, um, I don't know about Vertcoin, but uh, Ethereum Classic that had a 51% attack. I don't know. Womp, womp. I don't know if it's even a technically a 51% attack. I was seeing like some noise about what technically it is, but regardless, um, it it did not go to zero. And uh, yeah, I see Vertcoin here is it did not go to zero either. Uh, you know, these things like 
And it's funny because people will say like, oh, you know, if Bitcoin gets attacked, 51% attacked, like it's over. And putting aside like the odds or the difficulty or the cost of attacking Bitcoin, I don't think it's over even if it does get attacked. Even like if we have a reorg that's like 20 blocks deep, like that wouldn't make me give up on Bitcoin. That would just be like, all right, well, uh, you know, like, okay, now I wait for 20 confirmations. Like I, I don't, also like, Am I getting double spent on? Probably not. Uh, I, I'm not an exchange. So if an exchange is accepting, you know, $20 million worth of Bitcoin on deposit, like, yeah, they should wait for like 500 confirmations or whatever. Like that's not necessarily the end of the world. So people like expect yeah. things to like Bitcoin's rule of thumb is is six blocks. Uh, you, you can you can get reorged out of, you know, uh, 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 the chain if you're like two blocks deep. Um, it's unlikely because, you know, it would have to be a li- deliberate action of some kind, but not necessarily, uh, you know, a miner might get lucky and uh, mine. Every couple of weeks, there's, I think there's a two, you, you'll yeah. get the two, like an honest two, two block split every month or something. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's not, that's not the end of the world, right? It just, it sets user expectations about what the properties of the system are with regards to finality. Um, I don't think that like the media and academics and like fudsters on Twitter, like make it sound like it it causes the complete collapse of the chain, you know, with immediacy. It's like, no, mm-hmm. it's just. Well, it definitely uh, puts a dent in the idea of using uh, Bitcoin as a uh, like a, as a retail payment system, um, at least like on chain. Yeah, but like even I'll take a, a B capture position here. Uh, like I'm okay with zero confirmation, and I just uh, I, I my view is that um, generally in a retail situation like that, or even online, especially online uh, e-commerce, like they know your identity, they know who you are. They if it, like you're basically shoplifting if you if you do that, and uh, then like shoplifting happens all the time. You'll get arrested. You'll get booked in county jail. Like I, I don't see what the, like why people have a brain aneurysm over whether, uh, you know, it's, uh, like because the scenario they have in mind is you are completely anonymous and you're having a completely anonymous like financial transaction with someone, uh, and you'll never like see them you again. Verge to to buy porn. Well, for example, as we do. Although, yeah. The porn company or your, or your earning verge. You know, they can they can like subpoena your ISP to get your 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 uh, IP address or in your identity and whatnot. Like uh, it's it's not like committing fraud has no consequences in the real world. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, the, the people missing out on the live stream because they're not patrons. They don't get to see us simultaneously earning verge on screen. <laughs> the things we do, the things we do. Getting lots of verge tips. Thank you, everyone, for uh, watching. Thank you, node operator 69. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, it's not getting into like, porn or anything like that. Yeah, but it, it makes you wonder. It really like stuff like this really shows who is owning these assets, right? Like uh, when the price doesn't go down, when uh, like I mean, uh, it it like these are attacks. We've been saying like the math is starting to make these attacks kind of profitable, right? On something like uh, Ethereum Classic, and it's it's pretty amazing when 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 they happen. 
when exchanges shut down like all kinds of stuff for attack that we you know said was was coming and 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 like no one really cares and it, and so, they also didn't even know about it yeah what what i don't understand about uh these kinds of attacks is that uh you can only double spend the miner can only double spend his coins right mhm mm-hmm. so they deposited those coins at the exchange presumably every exchange does kyc aml presumably they don't just let you use fake identification i guess maybe that's the maybe they steal someone's identity to do a double spend um but in any case like y- you have to withdraw the fiat to a bank account like how how does the perpetrator you know withdraw the fiat to the bank account if, like do they or do they go into like tethers and transfer it to another exchange and then like uh, out that way. I, I don't understand how someone's going to get away with this. I feel like, you know, this is maybe just move the, the, analysis, the but yeah, they could probably just move the exact to- tokens they deposited right out, you know, like. Right. Um, how do they, well, somebody, how, somebody, how, did, how did they benefit from that though? So sometimes they'll sometimes they'll actually like some of these exchanges. I think will send you different coins. Actually, you know, if you send in ten coins, yeah, is you know they'll send you a different ten coins, and then so you get some new coins, and then you reorg and get those the coins you deposited back. So now you got twice as many coins as you started with. Uh, okay. The, the, okay. The, so, the price so of the asset, the price of the asset should go down a little when that happens, but. Uh, well not necessarily right like that's the other thing too is uh people expect it to crash but really it's it's the exchanges uh you know valuation that should crash that they uh let themselves get scammed like this but i mean it's isn't ethereum classic gpu mines like some of these are like the problem with the gpu mining is that you uh you can just rent commodity hardware that's the beautiful thing about asics is that you can't just there's not just like a like a t- someone had a tweet today, you know, if you if you if you put all the supercomputers in the world to mining Bitcoin, it'd be like half a percent of the network or something, or so, you know, something like that. It would be, you know, you there's just no like hash rate sitting around for SHA two fifty six, but there is for these GPU mined coins or these ASIC resistant coins because uh, you can just point AWS at it, and you know they're not like they're not very well secured, and this is something we knew, and now it's something that's being kind of you know, the attacks are being executed just as, as it seemed like they were, they could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other uh, part of this was just the detection of the reorg. And like, I don't, uh, I haven't tested this and this would possibly be interesting for your students to try out uh, to do a big reorg on like reg test or on testnet. Uh, and to see what happens with your node software. Because in my mind, like, I don't know that I would get any kind of warning or anything, any feedback from my node if it did have a big reorg. Like, it would just do what it's supposed to do uh, and change, you know, the UTXO set uh, based on that. Now, obviously, like, this is the other part where, like, I, it makes sense to me that the value of the coin doesn't go down. It said, "Why? How would I be affected by this at all? Uh, you know, especially if your coins are like deep in the chain. Uh, there's no way that it suddenly, you know, transactions became unconfirmed. Uh, even with Ethereum Classic, I think it was like a depth of like 80 blocks. 
mm-hmm. but you know, if if you're hodling, uh, your coins are thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of blocks deep. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, the difficulty of you know, it, it's an exponential decay, right? Which is really important, right? It, it you know, the difficulty of 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 mining multiple blocks in a row, like to to, to do a reorg, like back into the past, it's like, it's a, it's an exponential function. So it's just, it's really, really impossible unless you have the entire network to get more than like two, right? It's uh, it's an important thing to wrap, like exponential functions grow really fast. Yep. Yeah, this is actually like somewhat related to the original alert system, right? Like they, the alert system in Bitcoin was, I think it was more to help SPV nodes, uh, you know, to the, if, if, if someone's, feeding bad blocks that an SPV node wouldn't, uh, wouldn't know to reject. I think that was the original intent, but it's, it's kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, how do you, how do you know? You don't, they, you know, no one, no one watches for it. I don't think exchanges really watch for it. Uh, it's also it's, it's to tell people to upgrade their software. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm very weary of that kind of stuff at, at a protocol level, because of what happened with the Electrum uh, personal server situation, where basically um, Electrum, like they've they've created some Fukaka like protocol around their system, where y- y- your the Electrum network tells you to upgrade your your client or your node, your Electrum node, and your Electrum node is like it's not like I always thought that basically it was just a a Bitcoin full node. Um, but apparently it's got a bunch of other features on it, uh, including this update mechanism, uh, to tell you to upgrade and it got abused by people who were, uh, doing like an eclipse attack essentially on, uh, Electrum node operators. And, um, yeah, so basically like to, to me, and this is my approach with the node launcher, uh, I would rather just have the, uh, application like query GitHub. And if there's an updated binary, like give you a notification that that's the case mm-hmm. uh, and have no pretense of it being decentralized. All I have to do is make sure my GitHub two-factor authentication is good. And presumably GitHub will not be malicious. At this point, it's Microsoft. Uh, their market cap is bigger than Bitcoin's. So I feel like they have more to lose. <laughs> um, but yeah, right right now it's it seems like it's more secure than trying to come up with some crazy like decentralized protocol for finding out if you need to update your node or something. Well, you can use your own judgment. I mean, people have been figuring out how to, you know, can you trust this binary? Yes or no? Like, like you know, if you've been around, you you have a good sense of these things. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like the, the decentralized everything is is uh, not always the best idea. Yeah, and. The other thing too, in my mind, is that it doesn't like it. It, it doesn't improve the this the, the trust model of it. Um, and this is something that's been crazy to me that people will just download my software and run it. Like, I get that I have a bit of a reputation that you know would it would be bad for my reputation if I did something crazy with my software. Um, but people do like put a tremendous amount of trust in software developers. And they'll just run your code. I don't think anyone's reviewed my code. Uh, and uh, yeah, so good luck, guys. <laughs> yeah, this is one thing I, I learned with the hardware wallet thing. Like we build a hardware wallet, and we do it by uh, we we do it basically. It's inspired by Trezor and my, uh, basically Trezor. Trezor 
is the firmware is, is written, the original firmware was written in C, and then they, they uh, it's hard to write a UI in C. It's a really low level, really fast language. Uh, and then so they, they, they used Python, actually, a special version of Python uh, that could embed the fast C code where they needed it uh, to write a fir firmware. It's called MicroPython, and you can look on YouTube and, and learn about it if you're interested. And so that's how Trezor works. That's how ColdCard works. And uh, it was really interesting to learn about that. And uh, and so uh, so when I do teach people, it's like, okay, now here here we're going to build a, a MicroPython part firmware, right? Right? Like so, build all this C code on your machine, you know, and then build this other thing and, and plug this hardware device into your USB port. And it's like, along the way, I'm like, okay, but guys, like, don't trust me here, by the way. Like, this would be a great way to, if there, if there was something bad in there and you're plugging it in physically to your computer, that's like, it's the same thing. It's like, they're, they're very trusting and you, you want people to be skeptical. So I don't know, I haven't found a solution for that. <laughs> so I'd be proud of a student refused to do this project because it's like, I don't trust you. <laughs> So how many how many students are in each class? Uh, so I, I haven't uh, so, so the first one was like twenty five, the second one was about forty, and uh, and so yeah, it's still just me working on it. Eventually, I'd like to have a few people working. So it's it's at the point now where it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing things that don't scale, as uh, Paul Graham says. You know, so I'm kind of doing everything by hand, and uh, and but yeah, it's been great. Uh, you know. A lot of these people, I've I've basically taught them how to use their computers, right? Like I really get in there and make sure, like, this is how a text editor works. This is how a terminal works. Uh, all they could do is do Code Academy. You know, it's just where you do it all in the browser, and it's really simplified for you. You just kind of do the practice the logic, but none of the things about making your you actually operating your computer. And so, so yeah, there's there's been some really intermediate or beginner level people, and I encourage that. Like, it's going to be harder for them, but uh, a lot of these Bitcoiners are so motivated that they'll just like smash through these barriers. And so I got these like first time programmers who've, who've like implemented Python. That's the first thing, or Bitcoin. They like implement Bitcoin in like 750 lines of code. It's the first program they ever write. It's like, wow, that's, and they actually get it too because it's like there are bugs. There's uh, like, you you can't finish this project without doing a lot of debugging. And so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what it's like. So it's, there's a lot of like, you know, hands on hand holding and it's, it's not really refined yet, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really hands on stuff. So we got six, about 60 and I don't know if I like my, what I'd like, I'd love to be able to train like a thousand people this year. Like if I could just double the size of the last class, uh, I just think there's, we need so many more developers. Like that was the really dissonant thing when I got involved is like, Okay, everyone. Everyone here says this is going to be the new monetary standard of the world. Great. And so, what's holding us back? Developers. Okay. So, who's working on that problem? There's one guy, Jimmy. Right. Like that's the one. One guy. Uh, is like that really pissed me off when I heard. You know, when I encountered this because I was in the position where I was willing to pay a lot of money to learn how to learn this stuff quickly, and there was no one I could give that money to. So I just had to learn. You know, like I interact with Pierre some on GitHub. Right. Like that. Uh, Bitcoin Axe, you know, made a couple pull requests to that, you know. You, you're the first person who's ever contributed to one of my, like, little open source side projects. So uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, well, you were, real, you, were, you were real friendly. And that's what, like, you know, uh, dear node operators, like, uh, if you need some help, reach out. The worst they'll say is no. A lot of people are willing to help. Pierre scheduled a call and, like, walked me through what he wanted me to do. And then I did it. And unfortunately, I kind of ghosted on him 
shortly thereafter. But the uh, I, totally I wrote, fine and completely expected. And that's fine, like we're still <laughs> friends, right? And so, yeah. and, and the thing I wrote was actually it's crazy. Like it was a, a setup, and one of the things I did was setup instructions. And so uh, the you know Vladimir, whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lead lead Bitcoin maintainer like used these setup instructions to set up like a Mastodon integration. It was like, whoa, he, you know, like you'll be really surprised who will engage with if you write something interesting. It doesn't take that. It's not that hard. Uh, like this is it. You can really make a contribution in not not that much time. Like that, I was into Bitcoin for like a month or two at that point, and like it's it's uh, so yeah. That's 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 one thing I'd really encourage people is like you know send me a DM on Twitter. Uh, you know, if you, if you're thinking about learning how to code, like I won't show you the class at all. I'll try to help you find a good path. And like, it's in all of our interests. Like this is one of the big things. Like remember when you had the lightning people on the other week, uh, well, what, what did you ask? What's holding the lightning network back? And they, they all said developers, we need, we need more of these kind of sophisticated protocol developers. And uh, and so yeah, I think I think we just need a lot more of that. I'm really happy to see Pierre, your your class in Dallas. Uh, you can look like a lightning setup class. Mm-hmm. I just I just love all that. And I mean, like the the education happens at different levels too, right? Like uh, like your uh, I think your your what call it the uh, Excel plugin was really good because I mean that's really educational. It's it's telling very unsophisticated, like, technically unsophisticated users. They're they're learning a ton from that, you know, and they're really like skilling up the you know that the the education goes all the way from the hardcore protocol stuff just to like you know can i trust this as a payment network as a customer right uh education is the constraint at many different levels in this stack and so i think i think just i, I just love to see uh, efforts like that how often do you guys meet so the way the class works is so i, I try to do like live classes but the, like the really cool thing about bitcoin is it's like super geographically distributed. It's like I got a couple of people in Singapore, Australia, New Zealand. I should count the continents. I think I have someone, I actually had someone that was on uh, in Antarctica that was interested in doing it. He was on a, a science mission down there. Oh, so like- We're hitting every- If he would have signed up, I think I would have been at, I know I got, I think I got someone in South America. I'm not sure if I have anyone in Africa yet, but I had a couple of people who were interested. And uh, I'm sure, TV could find you uh, some some. Students. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, like I'm trying to run a business, and so I think that's a good way to get started. I don't want to be fragile. I don't want to depend on a sponsor or something. Uh, and so the price is a little like uh, it's twelve hundred dollars right now, eleven hundred for uh, noted listeners. I'm gonna give you guys a hundred bucks off if you just go to like biddlebootcamp.com and then do the colon like the hashtag noted. You get like a special. Uh, sign up page. Not there. the colon. The colon is sorry. the pound sign, the hash sign. Pound that hash sign. Yeah, yeah, so it'll be in the show notes, right? So go to bootcamp.com and then hashtag, hashtag noted. noted. Yeah, hashtag noted. And so, so, yeah, it's a little expensive for people in some of the poor countries now. And once I'm less fragile and more established, I'll try to do some scholarships, but now it's just not the time. So, so yeah, I got people all over the world. And so the, the thing, I couldn't do live classes because it's like half the people are asleep, right? And even even the ones that were most of them are working. Like most people have jobs, and so what I did is I it's mostly recorded, but I have like three office hours every day. So and I'm on Slack constantly. So I, I try to get questions answered within like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, I'll, I want to have and and like you know the students as we go, they can start to answer each other's questions too, which is a great way to learn is to to be able to, to, be able to teach uh, is, is is helpful. So so that's where we're at now is it's it's uh, it's mostly like free 
made kind of content and exercises. And then there's a lot of like, I'm, I'm very available. Like if you're having trouble, I will do a call with you for an hour to get you set up. And that's can what it imagine, takes. Can you imagine what college would have been like if this is how classes were set up? I mean, this like, is my motivation. It's like I hated school so much. Yeah, I, well, you show up first day and the professor is like, okay, join the Slack. You yeah. know, here's where the videos are going to be located. I'm available on Slack at these times unless you schedule with me. We have TAs and they, they'll, they'll help answer questions. And we're studying and the go. thing you're most interested in, by the way. You know, like we're not studying, you know, literary history or something really lame. It's like, this is the thing you're most interested in. You're going to be most, you know, you have a financial incentive to learn. No, uh, no offense to any uh, literature nerds. I mean, <laughs> of, of, offense in my, <laughs> not literature, literary history. There's like the, the criticism stuff is the, the literature itself is good, but the critics are like just unbearable. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so yeah, that's my whole motivation is like I I dropped out of high school, dropped out of college, uh, just hated school, like changed schools a bunch. Of just I cannot tell you how much I hated it, and uh, so I kind of feel like it's I'm following what like I should I should be one of the people working on this because. Uh, I've wanted to help improve education a lot. And I got lucky to find, to be interested in Bitcoin where, you know, it's, it's kind of like a learner's paradise, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, there's a lot of, uh, demand for this cause it's the hard, it's the hard thing. Like yeah. there's just so much to learn. Th th this reminds me of like w one of the like attitudes that I find just, I, I lose my mind every time I hear this, uh, when people are like, uh, look, uh, you shouldn't have to learn about, uh, you know, fill in the blank to be able to use Bitcoin or Lightning. And I'm like, but there's an army of people that are desperate to learn that. Yeah. They're begging to learn all this stuff. They're fascinated by it. What are you talking about? Like what? So like maybe maybe you should have to learn about it or if you do have to learn about it, it doesn't matter because lots of people are highly motivated and begging to learn about it. Like what? I think that ties into what we were talking about earlier where, you know, Bitcoin, by virtue of the fact you have to become more responsible for things, it, it's, it's been helping people in so many ways just open up to wanting to learn and take responsibility for more stuff in their lives as opposed Michael, to just like... Michael, how will the mainstream consumers be able to use the bitcoin well we're going to turn them into bitcoiners and they're going to be knocking down our doors trying to you know get us to teach them about you know hash functions and stuff <laughs> exactly it's it's funny you know so, sometimes i feel like an elitist and yet these people are far more elitist than i could than i could ever want to be by by looking down at everyone as like not willing to to learn about the world around them to to make their lives better. Yeah, I mean, like I I was a normie accountant when I learned about Bitcoin. Like, granted, you know, obviously I, I was predisposed to because I had a past interest in open source software and in Austrian economics. But uh, in every other regard, like I didn't know how to program. Like I, I didn't know anything about cryptography or anything. Like, um, and on top of that if I look around at other Bitcoiners and other Bitcoin developers, I'm like in the bottom 10% of Bitcoin developers, you know, like I don't know anything compared to a lot of other people 
uh, and you know, a lot of the guests we've had on the Noted podcast, like which is why we bring them on. I, I, yeah, I, don't know. I, I, I tend to disagree with that. I tend to disagree with that. Like, yeah, they they might have a deeper knowledge of how like protocol, the protocol, like you know, how to engineer a protocol or how to do like cross platform development or these like really hard technical things. But I think you have you have you have knowledge of uh, you know other aspects of the world, and then like it shows in your productivity over the last year, where you can produce a couple projects that find users, right? Like the Excel plugin, the Lightning Power users. That like it's 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 a, it's a key. So you don't have to be a super nerd to do this. It it actually it helps to bring some experience from another walk of life, like that Jeff guy, right? He's he's an attorney and an accountant, right? Like he just got started coding again. He did a little like 10, 15 years ago. Got got started again. He shipped two good products in like two months, right? A, a, a QuickBooks plugin for BTC Pay Server. I will use that for my taxes, right? And then this open source Patreon replacement, like shit, I may use that too, right? Like it, it like I, I disagree with that. I think there's a lot of people who like, you don't have, there's there's different things. He's a bodybuilder too. We need the diversity. <laughs> That guy's incredible. Huh? He's a bodybuilder too. He's incredible. Yeah, man. I, I haven't met him in real life and he kicked my ass, but uh <laughs> but yeah, so like there, like there's I think there's uh I mean and this is the one I'm trying to sort of convince people if, if you've never tried to code, just like give it a shot. Go to codeacademy.com or something. Uh just give it a shot and uh and or just like open your mind to it. Maybe not now, maybe not this year, maybe next year, you know, open your mind to it and uh and the diversity is important, right? We don't, you know, look what having all protocol developers got us to this point where all our wallets suck, right? Like, you know, you need these, uh, like, that's why this guy, this Willow Baron guy is, is cool to have because, like, people like that with Jewel, right? Like, these are the sort of web developer class that left Bitcoin for Ethereum. And they probably left because it was easier. It was, it was just a better, it was greener grass over there because uh, they had all these developer tools and all this stuff. Uh, and the, and the programming language, like uh, JavaScript, they, I think that sure. the, the uh, Ethereum people made it very JavaScript friendly. Sure. Um, and they're coming back for Lightning. Yeah, and so it's and, and it's 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 damn important they come back because we need them. We really do. Like yeah. I'm not. I'm uh, more of a backend engineer, and I'm not gonna. I'm never. I would never have created such a silky smooth like user experience. I I cannot. Right. Uh, and I also, I also, and I'm a little more to that back end direction, but I also, I'm never going to contribute to Bitcoin core as like a real deep level thing. Cause I, I just like, I you think could, I'm a little, Justin, you absolutely could. Maybe I'm not very careful. See, that's the thing is like, I want these like paranoid people on there. Like I'm a little bit like, they, maybe will, I, they will review your code. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. But like, I <laughs> think like a second, it is. a second layer thing to me would be a little better. Like, I don't want to touch the actual consent, like anything close to consensus. I, I think I just a little better. It's just my point is there's this whole spectrum, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And you can be shit on the one end and, and, you know, bad on the other. And there's still all this room in between. So, absolutely. You know, we got to rebuild the entire like financial system if this works. So, like, there's just so much. There's so much room, and that's. I mean, just having you know this this boot camp is a, is a tiny little business where you know runs on Bitcoin, and it's like it's amazing how it's just all the tools still stink. All like everything still stinks. You know, like there's there's so much improvement we can make, and so much tooling left to build. It really uh, like the deeper you get, the more opportunities you see. And so it's, yeah, th th this perspective has been really interesting. For sure.
Um, so what, what do you see on the horizon for the Biddle Blue Camp? So yeah, the, uh, the way it works now is like we're going to kind of, we're completing these first kind of projects and the way we're doing it is, is uh, like I try to make them like they're both hooks, you know, like a, a you know, really a good kind of toehold, toehold's a better word. And so like, I think with every passing month, I'm just going to kind of extend them. So like the network, when we do a bunch of network programming with the real Bitcoin network, you know, uh, we learn to do like initial block download and validate blocks and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and so one of the next things I want to do is like learn to, 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 to make like a really simple SPV client, right? And then maybe learn to do coin joins. You know, they'll be naive, but like with a couple iterations, they'll get less naive. Uh, with the hardware wallet, you know, uh, there's a lot of aspects there. Like uh, we're, we're using kind of a, I think one really interesting direction is to use, I, I found my friend Stepan Snigorov, uh, Snigorov, I think is how you say his name. We're going to be doing a, a, a free class in Munich together in, in February, actually. And we're going to teach people to build hard, hardware wallets. Like I met this guy, we built the first ever lightning hardware wallet last summer at Building on Bitcoin. So, uh, so he's, he's like my friend now. And so we, we found this really cool screen that's it's quite large LCD and you could actually display QR codes on it, $50 board with an LCD on it. So we could we could build a hardware wallet with a with true air gap, right? Which none of the manufacturers actually have right now. Every one of them, you have to plug something into your computer. And if you had a, a camera that could scan a QR code on your laptop and then could present the QR code of the signed transaction, that would be like the partially signed Bitcoin transaction is what you'd get. You'd sign it and display the signed transaction and your, your computer could read that. Like that would be pretty impressive, uh, and it doesn't actually doesn't exist right now, and so this could be like an, another iteration on the, the 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 hardware wallet project. And down the line, I want to do a lightning glass, and uh, maybe not. I wouldn't call maybe I wouldn't call it lightning. Maybe I'd call it like layer two, because uh, like I think one of the things I try to stress, like I, I don't try to get people to like, uh, like I don't want to just teach you how to use a. a a command line to like, I don't want to teach you how to use a bunch of the, the, the available tools. I wanted to teach you how, like what's actually going on in Bitcoin. Like what, how is it designed? How does it work? Uh, and, and what are the engineering kind of trade-offs in the different aspects? Like, uh, the, you know, network programming outside of it, or like the, you know, securing the secret side of it. And, uh, and then, you know, once you kind of get a good understanding of what's going on, then you can learn all these special skills and, and they're always changing to the, the, the tools that are available. And so with like layer two, I'd want to like, you know, let's try to go through all of the channel implementations that existed prior to Bitcoin or to lightning, right? Let's try to do a unidirectional channel and then, you know, all, all the different ways, like let's, let's implement these on reg test, you know, if, if we can, and uh, you know, kind of go in that direction. Let's try to make like a, a basic side chain or something and just sort of understand all the, trade-offs and how these second layer things work and then really actually get into lightning or something like I think it'd probably be lightning and so hopefully in a couple months I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll start like a really alpha class just like I did last time it's like that kind of ship early and often ethos like I'll charge real really low price it'll be really basic it'll be a bit of a train wreck but it'll evolve really quickly and there's nothing else out there for lightning uh, it's, I mean, there's not much for educational resources so, uh, but yes, but I'm also not like, I've been completely focused on Bitcoin. So I have a lot of learning to do. Uh, I've, I've sort of purposefully ignored lightning and, and you really have to ignore most of the stuff. Like I've, I don't know anything that happened in Bitcoin in 2017 or 2018. Like I've just been ignoring the news completely. Cause I'm, I'm trying to like get through all the, the, the original developments, you know, like HD wallets. That was like five years ago. 
and so, so yeah, I got a lot of learning to do. So it'll, it'll take much longer than I than I hope. Yeah, that's a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's we'll see. That's that's that's. I have like a three month horizon, and that's about as far as I can see. Yeah, one of the things is like teaching something is like number one way to learn it. So uh, you'll you'll come out of that experience with uh, quite a lot of knowledge. I'm jealous. Yeah, I mean that was the idea, and I encourage other people like. Like I, like I said, I started by doing free video calls with people I met at conferences. Uh, I had no idea whether they'd showed up or not. I thought, I didn't think that what I had to say was all that great, but I did it and they actually showed up and would keep showing up every week. And then when that worked, I started a meetup because in Austin, we didn't have uh, a meetup. Like the meetup was like a meet and greet. And I was like, I want to learn protocol development. And so I started a meetup. Uh, first time three people showed up. Second time, four people showed up and I put like hours into preparing talks, right? And like, you know, no one shows up. And then the third time we got like 20 people, like Bitstein showed up, a bunch of people showed up and it went really well. And then from there it's been, it's been working. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, I really it's encourage fantastic like, group. And thank, yeah, you, it's really, thank you for putting that together. It's, uh, no it's been wonderful. And uh, anyone who comes through Austin should, you know, get in touch with us. And if it overlaps with the meetup, uh, you should definitely join. And uh, if it doesn't overlap with the meetup, well, let's get we'll one We'll schedule it. Yeah, we'll <laughs> schedule it. Uh, we we like, did that this weekend when uh, someone was visiting. We just had an impromptu. Pretty, it was like, you know, we only had a couple days, couple days notice. Uh, and a lot of people showed up. So yeah. And we had a general, we have a general sponsor now, Unchained Capital uh, in Austin. They do like lending. Uh, they lend fiat against uh, Bitcoin holdings. And so they're like a really generous sponsor giving us a space. So I want to give them a shout out. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy to go from like in six months, I'm sh sitting here giving us crappy. I was giving the first presentation was how to use Wireshark to uh, inspect the packets that your Bitcoin node sends. Like, it's like, what the hell is your Bitcoin node doing? Right. And so uh, you can use this thing, Wireshark, and you can actually look at all the packets and try to understand what messages is it sending and kind of query them and just figure out what's going on. And, uh, and so that was the first thing and, you know, just no, nobody cared. And, uh, and then a couple months later, we had Jimmy song, we've had, uh, Andrew Polstra, like these are the leading people. Mm -hmm. And so like, I don't know, I, I've encouraged some of my students to start meetups. Like it's a great way to, yeah. I mean, there's not enough of them. Uh, people are starved for a company who are, you know, people who are learning this and you get it. It's like, it's the best way to meet the, like, there's this one guy, I won't say his name, uh, but it, like, he came to the, he's came to every meetup, right? He's this older guy, would never have met this guy. I love him. He's just like the coolest dude. And we've met up at coffee shops a couple times to like share projects and uh, kind of help each other out. He teaches me lightning. I teach him some other stuff. It's like, this is one of the people in Austin I really wanted to meet. But I had like, the only way I could meet this guy was starting a meetup, basically, because there was no place to meet this guy otherwise. So I think it's a great networking opportunity. Like get yourself out there. Uh, the, you just need a room, man. You need a room. That's all you need. So, uh, so yeah, that's, it's kind of a magical thing. You, you meet people you never would. Uh, another guy, one of my guys in my class, he's like, uh, uh, a, you know, a, a few of them I've, I've met now, uh, that are, you know, it's just really great to have met them. And, and there was no way to meet them other than starting this meetup. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've been super inspirational. Uh, just you've, you haven't been in Bitcoin that long and you've just uh, 
at and at all angles you've just uh jumped in head first and uh taken over and started getting things done making yeah i mean I had, I had a long break a long break before getting into bitcoin so i like i recharged the, like i'm i'm like at all i'll be burnt out in about three weeks just watch <laughs> Just all in, and then right, well, at least wait for the off. next cohort at Biddle uh, Boot Camp <laughs> to be, you know, finished up, and then you can burn out. It really, it really rings off the tongue, nice, doesn't it? It's just, uh... yeah, save five times fast. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's uh, I think a lot of it's it was really good for me to have seen how the traditional financial system works, uh, like. You know, we had this company where we were making money off credit card transactions and it's like our entire business model was based on basically taking money from merchants that should have been theirs right it's like i don't know it's uh the only reason we like we got to run that business and not other people just because we had better business development that was the only that was the main thing we had just phenomenal business development that could get us these relationships with payment processors like uh there's just i I really don't like so many things about that, how that works. And I, I think that a lightning and Bitcoin world would just be so much better and so much more moral. Right. So I think that's the big, I mean, a lot of it's the, like my motivation is just the other people that have created these technologies. That's the inspiration. Right. I'm, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Yeah. It's, it's kind of bizarre when people uh, thank me for the node launcher and they're like, Oh, you know, it, it worked for me. And so yeah. it's like, I I built like 0.05% of what you are using and you're giving me like 80% of the credit here. It's just like a, a thin wrapper around these Bitcoin and lightning nodes. It's not uh, what you think it is. And it's like, I didn't do this for you either. Like I just, yeah. I, I was compelled to, right? Like any great thing you do, like I, I like, the really good things you do, you're, you just like find yourself there because you just like had to. You didn't really decide. You just kind of had to, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think all these things are the same way. Compulsive yeah, I mean, the programming. Node, the node launcher is so interesting because it's like, like it's such a simple thing. And it's like, so nobody simple. thought to build it. Like there's there's just like, I don't know. When you, when you see one of these things, it just makes me, uh, it just... It gives me hope. Like you just know, there's so many more of these low-hanging fruit that we've been ignoring, and uh, yeah. and I think that's one of the really good things about the influx of new people, like myself. Is like uh, I've I've worked on software before, where it's like you you build the entire thing, right? And you cannot look at it with new eye, like with the fresh eyes again. You you don't even you don't even see what the user sees anymore. You just see all the bugs and problems and ways it can fail. And so, you know, like it's good to get the, the new people in because they're the only people that can see it with fresh eyes. Uh, I think it's no coincidence that so many of the, you know, many of the people that are building Lightning and Lightning apps are complete noobs. They're, they're not old school OG Bitcoiners, right? They have a new fresh take on things. And I don't think that's an accident. Yeah. And it's funny because like each, well, but whether it's the bull market or the bear market, like it brings in, a lot of interesting new people. Um, and what's also interesting to me just on the economic side is how many new people are Bitcoin maximalists? Mm -hmm. Because you would think that someone who's new here would be like, well, I, I don't have like skin in this game or whatever. Like, I'm just going to look at these and I'll, I'll 
I'll just build up a portfolio of diversified shit coins uh, and call it a day. And because, you know, like who knows which one's going to win and I'll hit the jackpot. Um, so that's like the mentality of some, but we've seen, and we've seen a lot of people come in with the Bitcoin maximalist attitude. And we've seen a lot of people like convert to Bitcoin maximalism. They're like, uh, I, I actually looked into these projects and they're bunk. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the one of the fun things about the class. Uh, like, it's kind of a snowball thing. So it's like the first group was small and then the second group added. But we all are in the same Slack group and we all have the same like background and stuff. So it's 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 really like a community. And so the the first thing we do is I encourage them to introduce themselves in a channel that's just for introductions. And I swear about once every four introductions, it's like, hey, guys, you know, sold my bag a month ago. I, you know, I, I finally read the Bitcoin standard. I finally read Nakamoto Institute or whatever they read. And it's like, ah, I get it. Like, you're not going to have this, you know, paradise for the, you know, a bunch of commodity tokens and a dex between every transaction. It's like the people have been really like, that's, I don't get how this vision continues where they're like, we want a token for everything. And then we want an intermediary, this exchange, distributed exchange between every transaction. It's like, the first sentence in the white paper is about how you want to get rid of the intermediary. It's the whole point. And they want like a distributed exchange, an intermediary between every transaction to convert your tokens to, it's like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, wild. Completely missed the point. Uh, all right, uh, we, we are way past our allotted time. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. We're at an hour and a half. Uh, well, hey, I, I want to just thank you guys for uh, getting me into Bitcoin. Actually, like it was really, it was really great. To I mean, I, honestly, I don't like I the knock the Nakamoto Institute website and the Noted podcast were the two things that like that right around that time. I, I told you guys this, but like I, I read it says the Nakamoto Institute, the Noted podcast, and then Safe's book. I had Safe's book and Chris Berniski's crypto assets book in the same Amazon purchase. I read the crypto assets and then uh, safes, and boy, that was a big, uh, very different those those two perspectives. But uh, but yeah, so those three things are what got me in, and and so I really appreciate. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, thanks for teaching me about this great thing and explaining it so well. I'm I'm honored to have uh, helped to provide content for that. Likewise. Yeah. Uh, it was great, great talking to you guys, and uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure thanks many for coming more. on. Many so, more conversations in the future. Uh, something I want to hear from our audience members is that if you do Justin's Bill Bootcamp, uh, let us know how it goes. And uh, that way we can call it out as being a scam if it's a scam. Or if it's not a scam, uh, then we'll have Justin back on. And obviously, like, you know, if some students do really well and they want to talk about some awesome project that they're working on, of course. Uh, this is the uh, the premier platform for communicating with Bitcoin full node operators. Uh, so node operators are all that matters at the end of the day. At the end of the day, that's who determines what the consensus is. <laughs> all right, we're done triggering Bcashers. Uh, let's. Uh, <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, uh, it's it's biddlebootcamp.com slash pound sign noted n o d e d right. And yeah. uh, our Patreon, if you want to see uh, 
live podcast is patreon.com slash noted n-o-d-e-d uh we need to like get off patreon at some point right because like we're not really welcome there and uh it's kind of hypocritical of us to be on this fiat platform but honestly like uh, i got a student who might be able to help you there i got a student you know but he he, he, you know i'll check out jeff's solution and uh yeah there's a few tally coin yeah i i looked at tally coin it didn't i just want someone to just make a clone of patreon just like carbon copy it uh and um yeah anyway i i just want to like go into their html and just like copy paste it into a thing and then just like graft on lightning payments (laughs) i know that's unrealistic uh there's a lot of work that goes into doing that um even and it's funny it's like whether it's patreon or like eventbrite uh, you know, I've been using Eventbrite to organize these uh, Bitcoin dinners and like they charge a lot of money uh, yeah. to, in credit card processing fee. Um, and it's a very simple application, right? Like it's a very simple website. Uh, and frankly, maybe they underinvest in their website because it's that simple, but it works. And uh, so I hope that people create a Bitcoin Eventbrite. Um, hit me up on Twitter if you do that, and I'll check it out. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's today's shilling episode. Uh, today's uh, infomercial about the Biddle Boot Camp. I highly recommend people sign up for it and try it out. Uh, and if you don't like it, then shout at us on Twitter. Yeah, I'll give you your money back too. I've, I, I have a I have an standing offer. If anybody doesn't like it, I'll refund you. It's, uh, like zero for sixty three have taken me up on that. So it's going but Justin, well and I didn't think there was chargebacks on Bitcoin. How are you doing that? <laughs> it is reversible. See, well, actually, I, I don't know if I can actually pull this off because no one's asked. <laughs> Fair, fair. Okay, well, that's good. Let's try to keep it that way. Don't sign up for Justin's thing if you're just going to ask for a refund. Okay, that's yeah, just that's that's bad, bad juju. Yeah, if you don't have a good work ethic and the uh, hunger in your belly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and really, like, uh, if if you have to read Safe's book a couple of times, like, uh, hype yourself up. <laughs> yeah, man, get that. Yeah, just get really, really, really hyped up on uh, Bitcoin Standard, and then you'll be ready to for put on Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Get that text editor up and, you know, dance as you code. I, I want to see, uh, eventually there'll be a movie where there's like a montage and the person is like going on Biddle Bootcamp and like learning how to program and uh, leveling up. Inventing Facebook 2.0. Yeah. It's it's going to be in a Hollywood movie. Because the Probably. world shuns them and their girlfriend is friends their soundtrack and they're gonna be running on the beach right i don't know uh anyway uh before we we get into too much cinematics uh let's call it a night and uh yeah we'll we'll have you back on as as things uh evolve and uh as people complete the biddle boot camp and uh you know send us interesting projects they're they're building thanks to the knowledge that you are uh, imparting or helping them discover yeah that's the the latter really like i want them to they're the ones that are going to do it on the mo- their own. I'm just going to, yeah, that's exactly what I want. Awesome. Well, thanks, Justin. Thanks, Michael. My pleasure. When you realize that nothing will change in the leadership, do you tap out and move on or continue trying to be a good leader to your crew 
who deserves it? That's definitely a, a question that it requires a little bit more information to give a good answer to, you know, because what's the situation? Can you be, is there an opportunity that you could become the leader long term? Because that totally changes the outlook, right? If if you could if you could do a good job and step up and move up into a more senior leadership position where you could take even more ter- turns or take even more care of the crew, well, then that's a positive thing and it might be worth hanging out for. Also, is it a complete dead end? Like, is there no possibility it's a family-owned business and all the senior leadership is related to the family and you're not part of the family and you never have a chance? Mm. That that changes the prospect. I mean, obviously, then it's like, okay, well, maybe it's not worth sticking around there. If you leave, can you leave where you can give open the opportunity for other people to go where you're going, right? Which is not a good thing in terms of, you know, you're not being very loyal. You're being anti-loyal. You're being unloyal, disloyal if you do that. But if the leadership that you're working for isn't taking care of the people, then you you have to have some loyalty to the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, I think that you 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 have to assess everything that's going on in the situation, which which is not evident in this one quick question. I would say this too: like, don't blindside your boss. Mm-hmm. Right? That's something that if you're going to leave, leave on good terms. Explain to him what's going on. Also, that can be an opportunity to start a conversation about how the leadership could improve. A lot of times people don't want to change anything until it really smacks them in the face. And one of the things that smacks them in the face is, is when one of their good people comes in and says, hey, look, I, I, I'm going to leave because of these reasons. Mm. And again, you don't, on the exit interview or on those conversations, you don't just drop dime and make everyone make it out to be this horrible situation and say, here's some things that I've noticed. Here's some things that I would want to change. Here's the direction that I see the company going. And this is the direction I think it should be going. And for these reasons, I've decided I'm going to go try, you know, try my hand somewhere else. I think if you be open like that, it can start some good conversations and possibly you could make some progress or possibly you could confirm your suspicions, which are no one wants to change, no one wants to do anything different, and if that's the case, and you realize it's a dead end for you, yeah, you gotta take that option. Mm-hmm. You, you you can't beat your head against the, on the 40, you know, you can beat your head against the wall 47 times, on the 48th time, it's like, okay, I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. So, pay attention to that. Yeah. Next question. What can we all learn from Tenacious D? That most people overlook. <laughs> you know, critical uh, question. It is a critical question, but there's actually a real, a real legitimate answer to that, mm-hmm. and that is that Tenacious D, who's a, a very uh, funny group of individuals. Jack Black is one of them, who's mm-hmm. uh, a musician and a comedian and an actor, and Kyle Gass is the other member. It, what, what's what's great about them is they don't take themselves too seriously, and I think that's the lesson to learn: mm-hmm. is don't take yourself too seriously. Have some fun and don't take yourself too seriously. There it is. Yeah. And I would say there's a difference between taking yourself seriously and being serious. So, you know how like being serious is like, okay, you're not necessarily joking all the time. But taking yourself too seriously is like, you know, if like a joke is made about you yeah, or you, you can't laugh all, at yourself or angry. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's sure. different. So you can be serious all the time. You can be a serious person and not take yourself too seriously. That is true. And that's a good, that that's fine. 
That's yeah. fine. The person you don't want to be is the person that takes themselves too seriously all the time. Yeah. That's a problem. So inversely, I guess, could you be too, like, could you be a very not serious person, but take yourself too seriously? Could you be a very serious? No, say not that one more time? could you be a very like jokey, not serious person? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's like yourself. that's the person that you can dish it out, but you can't. Yeah, take yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Thin skin type guy. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like you, right? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see, I see what you did there. I got you. Uh, next question. Unless there's anything more from Tenacious D. No. You know, maybe some good songs we can. Inspirado, right? That's from Tenacious that's, D. That's, that's where song. you got that from. I got to give a warning: the language is not appropriate for kids with Tenacious D, and nor is some of the subject matter. So be careful with that. Yeah, heed the warning. Next question: You mentioned you rarely pay, play closed guard. Rarely, is this just a personal preference? I would say that it is somewhat a personal preference, right? Because there's definitely some people that intentionally play closed guard. That's their game. Um, but at the same time, in order to attack, even from the closed guard, most of the time you have to open your guard. So therefore, your guard is open. So open guard. Yeah. And that's kind of what I do. Skip the step of opening my guard. But you've been in people's guard that have really good closed guards. Yes. Yeah. It's not fun. No. And that's why I try not to let people close their guard. Yeah. Because... You it's can prevent that from happening. Yeah. There's people that have really, really solid psycho closed guards. So I'm not anti-closed guard, and some people are great at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal preference is to play more open guard. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where closed guard, if you're not a person who always plays closed guard or whatever, it can be just something that you kind of use for specific situations. You know, like if you're trying to uh, maybe read regain some energy or something like that you want to rest a little bit or even in like a uh, self-defense like a striking scenario like a closed guard might yeah, yeah. might kind of no the closed guard is there's no doubt that closed guard has viable purpose yeah and is good and i do use it mm. i just don't use it a lot yeah yeah and if you're a taller lanky guy closed oh, guard yeah, might be a little and bit I have yeah. short fat legs that you know, clo- my closed guard is like my toes are touching, <laughs> depending on the size of the person. Yeah, and actually, where it stems from, if you went to the root of it, is it stems from foot locks. So if oh, yeah. you close your guard, when your guard opens, you're vulnerable. And that yeah. there's a moment where you're vulnerable. And if you're training with guys that have really good foot locks, that's not a good situation. So that's mm-hmm. where I started not closing my guard because there was always that transition period where my feet were vulnerable. So I just stopped closing my guard and kept it open and moved my fit feet towards me to keep them a little bit safer. 